you're ready for the word this morning. So it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap nor they gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add one single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and gone, to, which is alive tomorrow and then thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For, your, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Amen? I'm excited about what God has for us in this morning's message. And the title of this morning's message is called Exceed. Exceed. We will exceed expectations. Uh, uh, we're going to figure out ways to get the gospel around the world more than ever before. And a lot of people, we begin to think, how can I begin to do this? How can God use me? How can God use uh, somebody who's been divorced? How can God use somebody who's been through child abuse? How can God use somebody who was raised on welfare? How can God use somebody who, who's been in broken lifestyles? How can God use me? And can I tell you, God is the true author of the underdog story. Amen? I posted something on Facebook towards the end of last week, and I said, tell me your favorite underdog movie. And the underdog is this. It's the person where everything in the world is stacked against them. They have no chance to succeed, but yet somehow they defy all the odds. I got some answers like, you can choose any of the rock. The overwhelming answer was Rudy. I mean, you got the great movies out there that the underdog consistently rises to the top. One of my favorite ones that came out recently is called 42. It's the Jackie Robinson story of how he overcame all the racism and everything and became the first African-American baseball player. I love, I love the story where the nobodies, the smallest, the weakest, not the strongest, not the smartest begin to rise up and do amazing supernatural awesome things i'm gonna tell you a little bit about my life story and this is probably why i have such a love for the underdog i want to tell you a little bit about me growing up when i was born the doctors thought i had a, a hole in my heart and i wasn't really even known if i was going to live a little while later they realized it wasn't that and it was just a, a very serious heart murmur and i was never obviously the biggest kid or the strongest kid growing up in school when i was four years old and this is where i get my nickname growing up my parents always said you're an accident waiting to happen but little did we know now that it was strictly spiritual warfare trying to end something before god could even really begin it when i was four years old i was climbing up some hay bales in the barn that we lived in in michigan and when i got about to me was 50 feet in the air, but I'm sure it wasn't much higher than this because I was just a little boy. I fell off and I landed on a piece of farm equipment. It's similar to what a disc is down here. And I landed on it and it hit my head. My head landed on one of those blades and I got a huge scar right here on my head because of it. At that moment, I was supposed to die. I got rushed to the hospital, the doctor who was there, I remember him sticking his fingers in my head and he was feeling there's a, a main artery that goes through there and he is like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's cut on top of it and it's cut below it, but it didn't touch the artery. It's a miracle that he's even alive. A little while later when I was a kid, I was playing with your trucks outside and it started rolling down the driveway and as it was rolling down the driveway, I ran after it and I went to grab it and just then I didn't see a truck and it ran all the way up my arm 
And then the truck drove off of my arm, and I just remember the treads of the truck being embedded in my arm. Once again, I probably should have died, but praise God, I never broke a bone or anything like that. And all throughout Michigan, my parents were dairy farmers up there, and when the land prices dropped out of the bottom, we became very financially insecure up there. And so when we were up there, I remember stories of Jeff opening up the kitchen cabinet one morning, there only be a half a box of cereal, and that's all the food that was in the house total. That's everything that we had. And I remember one day a bunch of people from church showing up with bags and bags of groceries for our house and I was just amazed and, and welfare peanut butter never tasted so good y'all I mean and it turns out that the very ministry my parents had started a few years earlier to help people who were less fortunate in the church ended up being the hugest blessing to us at that time and so eventually uh, our family in Michigan went bankrupt and we had to move to Texas and so we got a big yellow rider truck and packed everything we had in the back of a truck and I'll never forget that morning being broke and bankrupt and coming down here and so we, my parents moved us down here with absolutely literally guys nothing nothing at all somebody gave us the car that they drove down here in to start a whole new life 1800 miles away from anyone and everyone that we knew we knew nobody dad got a job offer down here and they just they jumped on it they didn't have any other option little did we know it was God taking us out of Egypt bringing us into the promised land amen and to where God's called us things didn't get much easier the first couple of years we were down here I remember dad would go to work and they were we were a one vehicle family we would walk to the convenience store with mom and and, and get the groceries we needed until dad would get home and the apartments that we had to move into well they weren't the greatest of apartments there were more roaches than you can count the rats that were there rivaled squirrels more mice than you could ever imagine and in that time in that place I'm sure my parents were wondering what in the world are we doing but they began to trust God and they began to believe in God and they began to practice the scriptures and do what the Bible says and so as we began to grow up we began to realize things in life weren't always going to be easy and I'll never remember I was never the biggest growing up I was never the strongest I was never the fastest which developed in me a mindset that I'm going to have to work harder I'm going to have to study harder I'm going to have to do more I'm going to have to work more than anybody else if I'm ever going to achieve anything in life. When I was in fifth grade, top it all off, the teacher said, you're not normal. So we're going to put you in developmental remedial math. And I sit here in fifth grade and I'm wondering, God, why me? And I remember that thought running through my head. God, why me? Why am I being picked on? And I was thinking I was being picked on by God. I'm being picked on by people in school. I'm not the biggest. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest. God, why am I even here? And I'll never forget in sixth grade, even at that young age, I didn't even know what depression was, but I would battle depression because here's what my thought process was. I would wake up on Monday morning, and if it was a bad day, I'd be like, great, it's a bad day, so tomorrow's got to be a good day. But then I would wake up on Tuesday thinking, but the work I did on Monday was my bad day, and so the work I did on Monday would carry over to Tuesday, and so the paper that I did on Monday is going to be a bad grade, so when I get a bad grade on Tuesday, Tuesday's automatically going to be bad because it's, even though it's supposed to be my good day, so now every day that I have is going to be bad. And I remember that thought process going through my head, as even as a kid in sixth grade. And I began to think, God, why am I even here? What am I even doing? And so going through middle school, I didn't really try to make good grades. I was by the one thing the teacher said, oh, he's just got a great smile and a great personality. I think I'm just going to pass him along. I remember my parents getting told that at one point. And then through, through middle school, it was the same thing. I wasn't the fastest, wasn't the strongest, wasn't the biggest. But throughout all this, I began to wonder, God, is there even a purpose for my life? And then even this, there's not a purpose for my life. I'd go into high school, and I decided I'm not going to be just what everybody else says I'm going to be. I'm going to purposely hang out with people that are smarter than me because I began to realize I'll become who I aspire to. So I began to hang around with different people. Still wasn't the smartest. They were all making plans in their freshman, sophomore year to what college they were going to go to. And I was just thinking, college isn't for me. Remember, we were broke. So college was never, in my opinion, an option for me. Throughout the high school years, I began to have a change in thought process. My thought process was this. I will work harder. 
I will try harder. I will have more determination. I will have more grit. I will put my mind to it. I will make things happen in my life. And I will not let circumstances begin to dictate who I am any longer. And so I graduated high school and I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. So I just stayed working at the grocery store that I was going to work at. I didn't know college was an option for me so much so that in high school, I never took the ACT. I never took the SAT. I, I was lucky to just pass the standardized test to get out of school. Then something happened. You know, once you get out of high school, everything changes. And everybody say amen. <laughs> Everything changes. I was beginning to develop a career at the grocery company that's here in Sulphur Springs, Brookshire's, and developing that career. They saw potential because you didn't have to be smart to work at a grocery store. You just had to work hard. They had their systems in place. You just had to learn their system. So I didn't have to think outside the box. I just had to be a, literally a trained monkey in the wheel just to keep the wheel spinning for them. And I was good at that because I was a hard worker. If my parents taught me anything, they said, you're going to work hard. You don't have a choice in life. You're going to learn to work hard. And so as I began to do that, one of my friends then said, hey, why don't you go to college with me? And I said, I can't. I didn't take the ACT. I didn't take the SAT. I'm not smart enough. He's like, no, you don't understand. This is community college. And I said, okay, what do you mean? He said, you don't have to have taken those things for your first nine hours of class. And the fact that you can take nine hours without, e without even going to A&M Commerce and taking the test that shows you're, you're qualified and you have enough education and you're smart enough to go to school. So the first time in my life, I decided, okay, I'm going to take a step. And I'll never forget that night I came home, or actually it would have been that morning because I worked nights, and I told mom and dad, I said, I think I'm going to try and go to college. And they smiled and said, you go for it. And this is what they said, we don't have the money to pay for it. And I said, I know, we'll I'll figure that out. They said, what we can do is you can stay living in our house, and we'll feed you, and we'll give you a place to stay so you can earn money and go to college. And so I began to earn money, and I began to go to college. And the first three weeks of that first semester, I just took one class, a three-hour class, because I didn't even know if I would like school. Turns out I fell in love with school, and the guy who talked me into going to school dropped out a month later and never went back. I ended up signing up for a full load, and for the first time in my life, I've been out of school for one complete year, and I said, thank you, Jesus. Amen. And after I started going to college, I realized how to truly depend on God in my life. And why do I tell you all that? Because I'm wanting to lead into the scripture that we're talking about today. I want to talk to you about being the underdog. I want to talk to you about what Jesus said um, in, in this whole parable and when he starts out and what he's going through. And I want to tell you this for three main reasons. The first main reason is this. I want you to understand what potential is. I want you to understand what potential is in your life. And when you begin to understand what potential is, I don't want you to work without fear. You got to begin to work without fear. I want you to begin to passionately work and not be afraid of what's going to happen. Work without fear. And then finally, I want you to realize, live the dream, not your dream, the capital T-H-E-E, -E, live the dream, God's dream, God's desire for your life. And you're thinking, Pastor, how does this even fit into the parable or the, or the Sermon on the Mount discord? How does this even get us reacquainted with Jesus Christ? Because here's how it gets you reacquainted with Jesus Christ. When you begin to understand potential, potential is this, potential is the possibility of actuality. Everybody say, the possibility of actuality. Do I got any golfers in the room? Yeah, we got a couple of you. How many of you have ever hit a hole in one? If you've, lifted, if you've hit a hole in one, lift your hand. All right, we got a couple of people who have hit a hole in one. See, the possibility of actuality is this. You have the ability to hit a hole in one. And when you begin to realize your potential, it's the dream, it's the vision, it's the force on the inside of you, the greatness on the inside of you to actually make this happen. It's the possibility of actuality. If you're ever going to understand potential, you got to be understand what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 25. It says this, it says, is not life more than, and then he lists stuff. 
Is not my life more than food? Is not life more than clothing? Is not life more than whatever? I want you to stop in your Christian walk for a minute. Don't even think secular world. Think just born again Christian terms for a minute. Is not there more to Christianity than what I'm currently experiencing? You know, I remember when God called me to start the church. And that's before, that, that was a little bit after I started college. So many stuff going on back at that point in my life. And when I started the church, and there were three of us that first Sunday, I was sitting there thinking, there's got to be more to Christianity than what I currently experience. There's got to be more to life than this. If you're ever going to reach your potential as a believer, you've got to begin to say to yourself this, is there more to life than this, God? Is there more to my marriage than this, God? Is there more than to, my, to my family than this, God? Is there more out there? Because many of us, we get stuck on the wheel of everyday life that keeps going and going and going and going, and we never stop and say, there's got to be more to life than what I'm currently experiencing there's got to be more to life than what I'm currently doing and if you are bored right now in any part of your life you need to go to God with this question straight from the Sermon on the Mount say God is there more to my life than this and until you begin to ask that question you'll never understand potential because if you don't realize there's more to life there is no possibility of actuality if you don't begin to realize there's more to life than what you're currently experiencing you think you've reached the pinnacle and once you've reached the pinnacle there's nothing to shoot for now listen I've been told this all my life. The sky is the limit. The sky is the limit, and I completely disagree with that phrase. Because beyond what we know as the sky, there's something called a universe. Beyond what we know as a universe, there's something called a galaxy. But, or, I'm sorry, beyond what we know as a sky, there's something called a galaxy. Beyond what we know as a galaxy, there's the universe, and the universe is still constantly expanding. And how about this? Without a telescope, you'll never experience actuality. You'll just sit here thinking, is there more to life than this? I need you to begin to think outside the norm. In your Christian walk, what are you bored with right now in your Christian life? Some of you, if you're like me, praying is not your gifting. I pray, don't get me wrong, I pray. Praying is not what wakes me up in the morning and says, woohoo, I get to pray for an hour. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So I pray in small doses all day long. But if you are bored in praying, ask God this, God, is there more to praying than I'm doing? <laughs> Is there more to life than this? See, Jesus is, is laying it out just like this. Is there more to life than food, clothes, and everything else? See, the problem Jesus was dealing with is the same problem we deal with today. If you'll scroll back up to verse 19, he talks about storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. He starts dealing with monetary things because the monetary things of that world defined people's status, defined what their abilities were, defined what their potential was, defined what they were able to do. Much like today's society, status and money define many times what people do, who people will become, where they go to school. And unless you begin to say, is there more to life than this? You'll never achieve more than you've ever achieved. I want you to begin to understand potential. Understand the possibility of actuality. I'll never forget this message that I preached about five years ago. And there are about four people who really, really took me serious on it. I said, in 10 years from now, you're going to be something. You can either be a doctor or you're going to be right where you're at. It's your choice. And I know Miss Charlotte Hoppenray took me serious on it. She started going back to school. She finished her associate's degree. She just got accepted to Texas Women's University in Dallas. She's going to be a nutritionist. She's going to keep going on to school. Charlotte, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I know you're not 30-something. 47. Thank you very much. She began to ask the question, is there more to life than this? And if you've never heard her testimony, and I love it when she shows the picture of her before and after picture. She's got a picture where she weighs over 300 pounds on this side and weighs absolutely amazing today. There's more to life than this. Guys, quit. 
quit stopping where the world has told you to stop. It's time that we exceed. You want to know why? When, when I throw ex crazy extravagant vision out there for the church at the beginning of the every year, why I'm not afraid of it? Because when you started at the bottom, you only got one place to go, and that's up. When you started at the bottom your whole life, I don't know any other direction to go but up. And I want you to begin to understand this. If you'll really realize it, you didn't start anywhere else but the bottom as well. Because the Bible says without Christ, we're lost, dead, dying, and going to hell. You were at the bottom. You just may not have realized it. But when you found Christ, you began to stop where you're at. And you began to look up. So I do not want you to fear failure. I want you to passionately work at your dreams and visions. I want you to passionately work at what you're doing. Which brings me to my next point. Work without fear. That, now, that's two things. Work without fear of failing, understanding that God's going to get you there, but also don't be afraid to work. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Everybody, everybody always is so, so good about, about saying this. Joel, you are, that is so awesome. You graduated from, from business school in four years, and then you went back to school, and now you graduated 10 years later with your doctorate. That's so awesome. I wasn't afraid to work. You can't be afraid to work. Now, work doesn't mean sitting up night after night with a, with a computer typing a paper. That's work. It is work. But here's, let's, let's find out what Jesus says about work. In Matthew 6, 26, he begins to say, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Are you not of more value than they? When you believe why Jesus was sent, you will truly believe what Jesus said about you, and that's why he was sent. When you truly believe why Jesus was sent, why was Jesus sent? You, you can't get this wrong. Go ahead and tell me. To die for your sins, yes. To pay for you to have redemption. When you truly believe why he was sent, you'll believe what he said about you because that's why he was sent. See, a lot of people sit here and say, oh, Jesus, you're so amazing. Jesus, you're so awesome. You did awesome things. I believe in you. But if you truly believe in him, you'll believe what he said about you. See, a lot of people are good at saying, I believe in Jesus, but when Jesus says you're more than a comer, you're an, overcom you're more than a, uh, you're an overcomer, you're more than a conqueror, a lot of people say, that's not me. Well, if you truly believe that Jesus was sent for you, then you'll believe what Jesus said about you. Now, here's where we get into the work part. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6, 29. Jesus said, this is the work of God. Okay, now, now listen to me. He says, this is the work of God. This is red letters. This is Jesus talking. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. The biggest thing I've ever had to do in working and building and growing a church is not the work of the church. It's believing God is going to be faithful to his word no matter what the circumstances look like in the church. It's believing in a marriage that no matter what the circumstances look like, that God is going to be faithful to his word. It's believing when your kids are acting like hellions and they're running around and you think there is no hope for them. That when you train them up in the way they should go, and my parents say, amen, that when they get old, they ain't going to depart from it. They may wander off a little bit, and we all did. But we came back, and we came back with a vengeance. We came back with a passion. Now listen, if you're going to do the work and you're pumped up about unbelievable potential on the inside of you, which you should be. You cannot fear the work. Now, you're going to have to do the physical things. Yes, the greatest work you're ever going to do is to believe. And that's to stand and keep believing when the world says you ain't got anything to believe in. And that's to stand and keep believing when, you're, when they say you're dumb and you belong in remedial math and you can't go to college. You end up going to college. Listen, God's got wisdom that surpasses education.
It's time that we begin to believe. And in today's lost and dying world, where the fastest growing disease is depression, in today's lost and dying world, when nobody can seem to get ahead in life, and in today's lost and dying world, when we think we're just like everybody else in the world, and God, are you really there? Listen, I'm going to challenge you this week to stand and believe that our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is mightier. He can still move mountains. He can still divide seas. He can do what he said he's done. And here's what I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in his one and only son, Jesus Christ, my Lord. I believe in the scriptures. I believe in the word of God. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And every day you can walk into these offices and you'll find circumstances that would make any one of us on any given day that's the staff of this church want to quit. You can go talk to any of the elders and some of the things that we talk about, they could be sitting there thinking, really? I didn't sign up for all this. And you know what they say? We believe. We believe God's got something greater for this church. We're going to sweat the small things, Joel, like we talked about last week, because we believe God's still got something greater. I do not want you to be afraid of the work. Some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I've stepped out, and I tried that just tithe thing, and I believed God, and it didn't happen. Well, are you still tithing? No, because I believed God, and it didn't happen. Then you didn't believe because you still ain't doing. See, I believe so much in the ministry that God has called the way Bible Church to do and to be. That when the day came and we were five years into the ministry and the Sunday happened where eight of us showed up, I wanted to quit. I had made my mind up to quit. And my mama walked down that hallway. I still lived at the house. Walked down that hallway, closed the door. She said, you ain't quitting. You ain't quitting. I said, it ain't worth doing. She said, you ain't quitting. And I said, why? She said, because we ain't got nothing else to live for. That's all we have is to live. Don't quit. And I had to believe at that moment that the vision of God was greater on the inside of me. Just like his word says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. That the vision of God on the inside of me was greater than the attendance was that Sunday morning. That the vision of God on the inside of me and the vision of God on the inside of you for your marriage and the vision of God on the inside of you for your kids and the vision of God on the inside of you for your career is greater than the circumstances that are coming against your family. The work of God is to believe that God is greater than your circumstances. And it doesn't matter how high the waves are splashing in the boat. Because God ain't done with you yet. I need you to believe and understand potential. But once you understand potential, the most talented athletes in the world are not playing professional sports. It's the ones who work the hardest that are playing professional sports. Some of the most talented athletes in the world are locked up in a prison cell because their potential got them so far, but their work ethic got them right to a cell. I want you to know that some of the greatest ministers in the world that have ever lived, not just in our generation, were not the most popular. They didn't come from the most well-to-do families. The only thing that credits them to their name is they said, I just didn't quit believing. I didn't quit believing. I didn't stop believing. And I want to challenge you, and I close right now with this last point, that once you understand potential, and once you begin to understand what work is, don't be afraid of work. I want you to do this. I want you to live the dream. Live the dream. The is not spelled lowercase T-H-E, it's capital T-H-E-E, referring to God's dream for your life. This is where a lot of people get messed up. They understand potential. They began to understand work, but your desires get mixed up with what you think God has for you. Your desires get mixed up between that and what God really has for you. I want you to find out what God's dream is for you. You want happiness in your career, and you're praying for everybody in your workplace to change? Maybe God's saying, here's why you're not changing. Because you're living your dream career, not my dream career for you. I want you to start living the dream of what God has called you to do. Matthew 6, verse 31 through 33 says, Therefore do not be anxious. Now I want to stop right there on the word anxious. That means worry. That means dread. That means doubt. That means fearful. How many of you, and don't lift your hand on this, 
if you've ever thought this, I dread going to work today. Some of you hate Sunday because you know the day that follows it. And some of you, you can't wait till Friday 5 o'clock gets here. So much so you leave work early. Amen. The Bible says, therefore do not be dreadful or worrying or anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, and when it says Gentiles, this means people without Jesus in their life. For the Gentiles, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. He knows you need food. He knows you need clothes. He knows you need car to drive, and he knows you need a house to live in. He knows these things. So why are you worried about them? God says, in the midst of you worrying about all this stuff, if you'll change your perspective and do what Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be taken care of. See, the answer to your marriage problem probably isn't a bigger house. The answer to your marriage problem is seeking the kingdom of God. Because God will make you just as happy in a small house as he will in a big house. The problem with big houses is you just got more rooms to separate yourself from each other in. The problem with a small house is you got to be in the presence of one another. Guys, your answer to your problem is not praying your boss gets fired. The answer to your problem is not praying, God, I wish these kids would hurry and grow up and get out of the house. The answer to your problem is not... I wish they would make the speed limit faster. The answer to your problem is not everything you're praying. The answer to your problem is, God, what does your word say about my situation? Because if I am anxious, worrying, dreadful, and, and in fear about this situation, God, what does your word say? Because when I find out what your word says, then I can work without fear. I can believe God without fear. And then I will be able to see unbelievable potential break forth in my marriage or my kids or my family or my workplace or my church or my house or whatever you're talking about find out what God said what does seek first the kingdom mean it means find out what the king said about his kingdom find out what Jesus said about your problem see a lot of people in marriage we love to pray this at weddings and what God has joined together let no man put asunder and we love to say that at weddings and we and, and I get that verse requested more at weddings than anything else one right after that is is we want the love chapter First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Why? You ain't going to be patient and kind with one another in two weeks. I mean, seriously. What does God's word say about your marriage? What God has joined together, don't let any man put it asunder. That also means you, husband and wife, protect each other. Man, I, I tell more couples this than anything else. You guys need to come out of the same corner fighting. Because right now you're fighting against each other. You need to fight with each other. And when you stand with each other as a married couple, nothing in hell can slow you down. And, and don't ever make a mama mad. I'm just saying. Because I'll never forget the day that I thought about quitting. I know my mama rose up in her prayer life, and she won't tell me this. She hadn't told me this. I just know what happened. She came out fighting mad. I mean, fighting mad. And I'm glad somebody stepped in the corner and began to fight with me and began to move and do awesome things. And my parents have been with this, this church since day one, and I am so appreciative for what they've done. And, man, people have came in from all over the world and helped God build something amazing here in this kingdom. But the amazing thing is, you're sitting here thinking, wow, that is such an awesome story. Guess what? If you're in this sanctuary, you are now a part of the story. You're now a part of the story. You're now a part of an amazing movement that God is doing right here in this northeast Texas region. You are now a part of what I can truly say and believe. God wants to do the mightiest movement northeast Texas has ever seen. And he wants to do it not just with us as a church, but with a lot of churches coming together saying, we're tired of the world dictating what we do. So now we're going to seek first the kingdom of God. We're going to rise up with the potential God's given us. And we are going to work and we're going to believe God's word over everything else. Guess what? You're not a pew sitter. You're a part of the story. And here's the thing. This morning you get to decide how active of a part you want to play. This morning you can say my part is just coming on Sunday morning and sitting there. 
Or this morning you can say, Pastor, I got potential. I got potential. Don't tell me you got potential. Tell God you got potential. And you go to God and say, God, there's more to my Christianity than what I'm doing. And God, since there's more to my Christianity than what I'm doing, here's my potential. Here's what I believe. And I want you to work at it. And I want you to begin to get plugged in and watch God use you to transform a region like never before.